What's up, guys? Three things today. Three questions. Did God die on the cross? Secondly, today with me in paradise, what's that about? And then I want us to think about six words that communicate the accomplishment of Christ on the cross. We thought about the cross yesterday at church. Luke chapter 23, Christ is crucified. So let's walk through this. The first question is, did God die on the cross? We know and believe that Jesus was fully God and fully man. But did the divine nature of Christ die? If you were to share the gospel with a Muslim, this is one of the objections that they would give you. They don't believe, first of all, that Jesus was crucified. They think it was some uh, someone positioning themselves as Jesus, but it wasn't him. But the other thing that a Muslim would say would be that if Jesus was God, God can't die. And so you say that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And so they would reject it because God can't die. And of course, they're right. But we as Christians do not believe that the divine nature of God perished. That is not even possible. But instead, the human nature of Christ died. The first Adam was flesh, and he introduced sin into the world. Uh, however, the second and greater Adam came and took on flesh so as to overcome sin and death in flesh. Uh, and he did that in the human body. Just as Adam brought in, as Paul would say, uh, Adam brought in, the first Adam brought in sin and death into the world. The second and greater Adam in his humanity dies as a sacrifice for sinners who would believe. And therein, our flesh is over, uh, our flesh overcomes sin and death. Uh, but the divine nature of God never dies. Um, and that actually plays in a little bit to this second question that I heard from a few of you yesterday. It sounds like your community groups were talking about this a good bit. Uh, and that is this notion of today, you'll be with me in paradise. First off, I hope that in your community groups, you're not spending most of the time, especially on passages like the cross, on these questions. I hope you're spending most of your time talking about the power of the gospel and the power of the cross. Um, but it is a good question. Jesus says, just the, the context there, Again, that Jesus is speaking to the other criminal, the innocent criminal, the one, the criminal that gets saved in chapter 23, verse 41. And, and we indeed justly, this is the innocent criminal talking, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man, referencing Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he, Jesus, said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And so what's going on there? Uh, well, I think the answer to that question comes in what comes next. Verse 44. Notice uh, in verse 43, Jesus is speaking in the future tense. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be. There's at some point today in the future, you're going to be with me in paradise. It's happening on that day. What's going on there? Well, I think that is anticipating us. Luke means to anticipate us uh, for what comes next. Verse 44, it was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit and having said this, breathed his last. He died. 
And so, going back to the question, today I will be with you, today I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. What's this future point that he will be with him in paradise? Well, look what Jesus said. Again, in verse 46, into your hands I commit my, what? Spirit. And when did that happen? Upon his death. Right? We just said a moment ago that the divine nature of Christ never died. In the same way, those of us that believe on Jesus, so while our bodies be dead, yet we are present with Christ upon our death. So it is with Christ. He was still waiting for his resurrection body three days later. Uh, what he waited three days, we are having to wait thousands of years to get our resurrection bodies. But nevertheless, absence with the, in the body is presence with the Lord. So it is with Christ. He just prayed, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So that divine nature, that spirit, that spirit that goes on forever is with the Father. And the reason why some sinner like a criminal can be with him is because he pleaded the mercy of Christ to save him. So back to the question, today you will be with me in paradise. What's he referencing? Well, I believe that he's referencing, again, what comes next. In other words, the death of this criminal, the innocent criminal that pleaded the mercy of Christ, because he trusted in the person of Christ, therefore, at the death of Christ, he too will be with Jesus in paradise. In other words, he will be with God in heaven. He will, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, again, uh, absence of the body, presence with the Lord. And so, yeah, that man, that criminal, was in paradise because his spirit, upon his death, because he trusted in the death of death in Christ, is with Christ in heaven. He's in paradise. That's the answer. Now, some of you may be thinking, Nathan, but what about 1 Peter 3? And you're going, what? 1 Peter 3, some of you. Uh, but many of you are aware of this teaching in 1 Peter 3. And maybe that's what's where some of your questions are coming in relation to um, today you'll be with me in paradise. Some people read 1 Peter 3 and think that it sounds like upon Jesus' death he goes to hell. Here's the verse. 1 Peter 3, 19. In which he went... Sorry, let me back up to 18 to give some context. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. There's the whole point of the gospel. Christ the righteous suffered for the unrighteous that he might bring those of us that trust in him to God. That's the whole curtain tearing. We can go in. Uh, being put to death in the flesh. Jesus put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Uh, and no, so that little portion of the text, 1 Peter 3.19, some people say, well, it sounds like what Peter is saying there is that upon Jesus' death, he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. In other words, after his death, he went to hell and preached to them. Um, well, there's a few positions on that passage. If, if in this, I think I already answered this question, but you may be wanting it to square with 1 Peter 3. So there are three ways in which we can understand that passage right there that I just read to you. Jesus, it sounds like dying, going to preaching to people in prison. Three ways. And there's really only two options out of these three, but I'll represent all three of them. There's really two options that are faithful. Here's the first one. Uh, that is, the, the first one is referencing Noah. Uh, namely, that Christ preached through Noah. Uh, if you look at the passage, it says, because they, it goes on in the next verse, 
because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, uh, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, the first position where for, where Peter says that after Jesus' death, he goes and preaches to the persons of the prison, some people will say that this is what Peter is doing, is he's referencing when Noah was building the ark, and those people, this is represented in other passages of Scripture, those people were imprisoned to their sin. You remember in Genesis 6 and 7, God regretted that he made man and he judged the world. It's so awful. The world was so bad. And so as Noah is building that ark, he's calling them to repent and to believe. And so uh, the first position says that what this passage is referencing is that the spirit of Christ was in Noah. The spirit of Christ was in Noah when he was preaching to those unrepentant people back in the days of Genesis 6, 7, and 8 and 9. And so that's the first position because he makes that connection. He goes on to say, Peter does, he makes this notion of Jesus being the ark, right? We need to throw ourselves upon the ark of Christ to overcome the judgmental waters. So that's the first position. The notion of Jesus going after, uh, going and preaching to those in prison is referencing the time in which the spirit of Christ was in Noah preaching to those um, in previous days in Genesis. Uh, the only pushback that people give on that is because it says he went and proclaimed. So some people say that sounds like something he did after his death, uh, not before his death. So that's a good pushback. Second uh, option, which is not an option, is that this passage is uh, teaching a second chance. Uh, Jesus goes after his death and preaches to the people in hell so as to give them a second chance to repent and believe. Uh, I don't believe that's even an option because the Bible in no way endorses such things. We find in no other place where people get a second chance in hell. If anything, we find the opposite. Jesus is pleading with people to repent uh, now and believe. Uh, and upon uh, our death, it's too late. So I don't think that's an option uh, Christian history would teach us. No Christians have believed this is a realistic option uh, that, uh, from 1 Peter 3. Uh, but the third position is that Jesus, after his death, goes and pro- preaches his victory uh, over sin and death to the prisons in hell. So this one is really referencing humans, and this one is referencing people in hell. So this is, you know, people on, humans on earth. And this is people in, people and demons, and demons in hell. So he's preaching the victory of the cross to the people in hell. That would be option two. You see the word there, he went and proclaimed. The word there is preached. That's where we get our word preached. To the spirits in prison. So the spirits in prison would be demons are those that are in hell. Um, and so that would be option three. I think one or three is an option. You can choose which of those um, you think is most convincing. Uh, but when Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise, I think either, either way, remember, the divine nature of Christ never dies, but even the human nature of Christ eventually gets exactly what Jesus prays for. 
I commit my spirit to the Father. And that happened on that day when Jesus died. As to what happens after, well, either that was Jesus went to hell and preached the victory of the cross down there, or it had already happened in the days of Noah. Uh, but either way, the important part is, is the divine and the human nature, the person of Christ, the spirit of Christ, is committed to the Father upon his death. And that guy, that other criminal, on that day, because of the death of Christ, he, when that criminal dies, he goes, his spirit goes to the Father as well. That happens on that day because of the atonement of Christ. That's what Luke means to tell us. Verse 43 was connecting to what comes after it in verse 44 and following. It's my answer. Hope that's helpful to you. Lastly, I want to briefly take a look at the accomplishment of the cross. In particular, I want to see if you guys can uh, answer what these words mean. When we think about the cross, many people will say, you know, what, what's the message of the cross? And that is, well, Jesus died for my sin. And that is true and gloriously true and enough to save you. However, the Bible uses all different kinds of words to talk about the accomplishment of Christ on the cross. I can think of six that you guys need to know. Six words about the accomplishment of the cross. of the cross. Let's see. Can you name them? Can you name them? Six words that communicate the accomplishment of the cross. Here's the first one. Propitiation. Propitiation. You know what that means? It means wrath. Well, look at me. Can't. I'm spelling clincher too soon. Uh, it means... Wrath quenched. Propitiation means wrath is quenched. God is angry against our sin. He is justifiably angry against our sin. Justice needs to be um, promoted because of our sin. Consequently, that justice is satisfied in the cross. When Jesus says, my God, my God, my, why have you forsaken me? He is propitiating the wrath of God. Remember, we talked about this at the Passover. Remember, the blood is over the doorposts, quenching that angel of death that comes over. That blood is satisfying the anger over sinfulness. Propitiation is accomplished in the spilling of the blood at the cross. The second thing that is accomplished at the cross is probably, this one's probably more uh, unfamiliar to you. I keep, I'm having trouble spelling today. Expiation. You should hear in that word X out, like exit, right? Expiation out. Do you know what this one means? It means God puts our sin away. Expiation. Expiation. And so I mentioned this in the sermon yesterday, that there was two goats on the Day of Atonement, back in the days of the Old Covenant. The one goat was killed, his blood was taken and sprinkled on the mercy seat inside the most holy place on that one day of the year, propitiating the wrath of God. Uh, well, meant to communicate that. The other goat, you remember, was uh, the sins, as it were, were placed on that goat and it was sent away into the wilderness to communicate that our sins are put away, representing that sins are pushed away as far as the east is from the west. That's expiation. Because of the blood and the body of Christ being sacrificed for those that repent and believe, God's wrath is quenched and our sins are put away. The third thing that happens on the cross is redemption. 
Do you know what redemption is? If you were to go into redeem something at Target, what would you be doing? You'd be buying it out, right? That's what redemption is. It's buying back. In particular, buying us out of our slavery to sin and into the freedom of righteousness. So it's buying. It's a buying back. Jesus' body and blood is purchasing for us us out of our sin and into the freedom of Christ. The next one. Four. Justification. Justified, right? Declared righteous. On the cross, because Christ has propitiated the wrath of God, the anger of God, justice has been satisfied in Christ. He's then, because of that, he's able to then push our sin away from, uh, as far as the east is from the west, our sins put away. Uh, and that's because he has, and then he's able then to redeem us by his blood. He purchases us out of our slavery to sin into the freedom of Christ, which makes it possible for him to justify us, which is to declare us righteous. Declare us righteous in Christ. Uh, the fifth thing. Adoption. When you were adopted, right, we can think about members of our church, children in our church that were adopted, right? This is, some would argue, this is the most important part of the accomplishment of the cross. Because God not only propitiated His anger against us and sent our sins away and bought us out of our slavery so as to then justify us, we could have just sort of gone and done gone our own thing, but God loves us more than that. He wants us to be part of His family. This is amazing. He's adopted us and given us a place in His family. Jesus teaches, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may also be. Right? He's got a home for us. He's building us a home with Him. Uh, when we take the Lord's Supper, we sit at the table with Him because we're in His family. We are adopted. We are reconciled. To God. We are family. This is why we call each other brothers and sisters, right? Uh, Christ is the head. We are his, he's our big brother. Uh, and we are his sons and daughters. We are the father's sons and daughters. Adoption. Sixth and lastly, glorification. 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 So because Christ has propitiated the wrath of God, He sends our sins as far as the east is from the west. He redeems us by His body and blood. Uh, he buys us out of slavery into freedom so that He can then declare us righteous, justify us. He then brings us into His family. We come to the table. We are now sons and daughters of God. And we are not only sons and daughters of God spiritually, but glorification indicates this fullness Of Romans uses the language, the fullness of adoption. In other words, we get our glorified bodies, right? And our glorified bodies, our, our, our spirits match up, our sanctified and perfected spirits match up with our glorified and perfected bodies. That happens in glorification. 
That's what we wait for at the return of Christ. Just as Jesus was raised on the third day and then he got his glorified body, so we wait for our glorified bodies. And all of that was purchased at the cross. Uh, and this glorification was certainly sealed and seen in the resurrection of Jesus himself. Uh, but never, we see it there. But guys, these six words, when you think about what is accomplished at the cross, you got to think about it in a more three-dimensional kind of way, not in just a two-dimensional way, uh, which is Jesus saved us. No, but try to think about it in these six ways so as to worship and enjoy the Lord so that you can see what has been done for you. Christ has propitiated the wrath that was due to your sin. He's expiated your sin. He sent it away. He's bought you out of slavery to sin and set you into freedom uh, because he justified you, made you part of his family. And one day you're going to get a full adoption through the redemption of your bodies and the fullness of all things and the restoration of all things in the glorification which we wait on in Christ's return. All of that was uh, purchased at the cross, which is why Paul would write uh, that when he preaches and writes about uh, the crucifixion of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, they are matters of first importance. Uh, they are our hope. They define us. They orient us. And so may they orient you and define you, beloved, as you think about this great glorification in Christ on the cross. This Sunday, Lord willing, we'll think about Jesus' resurrection. What a day. Look forward to meeting with you then.